I'm grateful to have this opportunity uh, to share with the seminary family uh, today, a family across the 39 years it took me to graduate, poured so much word into me, and uh, grateful to have an opportunity to share a word from the Lord with the seminary family. Uh, I really believe that God has brought Dr. Adam Greenway into the Southwestern family kingdom leadership for such a time uh, as this. And although Southwestern has a glorious past, I really believe her best days are ahead of her. And for that, we give God praise. Um, I usually have used my cell phone to uh, judge. Oh, there's a clock. Good, good. want to make sure I honor time. Going to have my wife to wave and do something after about 25 or 30 minutes. <laughs> I invite your prayerful attention to one verse of scriptures I prayed for several months about what God would have me say today. I was burdened uh, to talk mainly from this verse. Uh, Romans 16, 13. The text reads, greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. I want to speak from the subject today, crossing cultural chasms. Crossing cultural chasms. In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, there is Three Rivers Stadium. It was named Three Rivers Stadium because of its location. It was built on the intersection of three rivers, the Monagalia, the Allegheny River, and Ohio rivers. That intersection of these three rivers coming together is called a confluence, which is a coming or flowing together, meeting or gathering at one point, a confluence, a coming together, a flowing together, meeting or gathering at one point. In Romans 16, we are reminded that the early church prioritized keeping Christ exalted above culture. Consequently, the church at Rome experienced a confluence of cultures in one congregation, centered in the cross of Calvary. Today's church too often on all sides place culture above or equal with Christ rather than experiencing a confluence of various cultures in our churches. We often see a chasm, a deep opening, a breach, a great divide in the body of Christ. For the church to convince the world of the reality of the carnation of the Son of God, the church must be unified. Jesus prayed for his followers that they may be one. Why? So that the world may believe that the Father sent him. The astonishing impact of Jesus' statement is if the church is not unified, our disunity is a major threat to global evangelism. Yes. 
disunity is a major threat to global evangelism. Jesus prayed that we be one. Why? So that the world would know, which implies that if we aren't unified, it could hinder the world receiving and hearing the gospel. Dr. Tony Evans pointed out in his study Bible that ethnic, gender, and class diversity are highlighted in Romans 16 as characteristic of the life and leadership of the Roman church. Robert W. Yarbrough, professor of New Testament Covenant Theological Seminary in the ESV Gospel Transformation Study Bible concerning Romans 16 stated, and I quote, the gospel most frequently goes forth not by individual effort, but through the shared labor and sacrifice of many, representing both genders, many backgrounds, different social classes, and varying locations. This section, meaning Romans 16 then, is a wonderful illustration of the doctrine of the church expressed in Romans. This chapter is a neglected chapter for too many when it comes to studying, preaching, even reading and teaching. Yet I believe we will find in this chapter keys to unlock the vault to crossing the cultural chasms in today's church. If the 21st century church is to cross the cultural chasms that divide us and weaken our gospel influence, we must learn to work together in kingdom unity. Today's message will focus on the ethnic unity in the church at Rome. That was an African connection to the church at Rome. The text says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. The three featured personalities in this verse, Rufus, uh, of course, Paul, and Rufus's mother. The one verse, this one verse may reflect the best example of unity in the church than even the other 26 uh, verses. A careful study, so you, you show class diversity here somewhere, uh, household uh, leaderships and high-profile people. Others probably had very little money. There are probably six or seven women's names mentioned in these verses. Uh, you have gender diversity. You have class diversity. You have ethnic diversity, Jews and Gentiles working together in the same congregation. But verse 13, properly exegeted and understood, probably was the most graphic picture of ethnic diversity in Romans chapter 16. Uh, most scholars believe that Rufus and his mother were Cyrenians, Africans who probably spent substantial time with Paul when he spent a whole year at Antioch teaching large numbers of disciples. The church at Antioch was founded, it was planted by men from Cyprus, a southern European uh, country, and Cyrene, a North African country. You'll see that in Acts 11, 20, and chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, it lists the, the leadership of the church at 
Africa, and you have Europeans, Asians, and, and Africans, all gifted men providing leadership for the church at Antioch. It was planted by an interracial leadership team. And coincidentally, if a church starts out in her DNA being multicultural or interracial, she's likely to continue to grow as a multicultural interracial congregation. Simon of Cyrene is mentioned in Mark 15, 21. Mark wrote to the Romans. And although chronologically, the, the Gospel of Mark appears before Rome, but many scholars believe that uh, Mark was written after the book of Romans was written. So when, when Mark identified the sons of Simon of Cyrene, an African man uh, who helped Jesus carry the cross, he knew that the people to whom he was writing would be very familiar with Rufus. Mark was the only uh, gospel writer who identified by name the sons of Simon. Paul spent ample time in Antioch with the Cyrenians who were at the cross. They were at uh, Pentecost. They were at the founding of the church, the first Gentile church at Antioch, where the disciples were first called Christians, and at Antioch. And there it is believed that Simon and his mother uh, spent enough time with Paul when he spent the year there that he could refer to Paul's mother as his own. Paul never identified his mother in the scripture. He talks about Timothy's mothers and grandmother, but he never identified his own except for calling this Cyrenian woman his mother, which was not a term used lightly in the Bible. It meant she provided him with hospitality and nurture and care, perhaps a spiritual mentorship of sorts. And Paul recognized this woman, and I believe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today will be a much better place and more attractive to the world if we reflect the kind of unity and diversity we find in this Roman text. There's so many needs that each of us have, but we need to come together to fulfill the needs that we have. And somebody said there's so much good in the worst of us and there's so much bad in the best of us, it behooves all of us not to talk about the rest of us. <laughs> I'm from a fairly poor family. I used to say that strongly, but the more I visited around places and in other countries, uh, my family was not as poor as I thought we were, but we were definitely financially challenged. I'm the youngest of nine kids, and when one of my older sisters, Frida, who was now 73, she actually lectured here in the Richard uh, Land Center. She wrote a, a book about uh, sexual abstinence and the benefit, and she was invited to speak here on campus about 10 or 12 years ago. I so proudly came over uh, to hear her, but when she was a nursing student uh, at the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville, uh, on scholarship, and she had to maintain a certain grade point to keep her scholarship. One semester, she failed a hair short of what was necessary. She did not get that grade up uh, by the end of the semester, and her dean called 
my parents had told her that they didn't want to, but they would have to send her home if we couldn't afford uh, to pay because she no longer qualified for the scholarship. I'm a much, I'm 10 or so years younger than her, but I remember daddy calling the family together for prayer. And uh, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. He says, they're getting ready to send Frieda home. She's falling short of the necessary grade point to maintain a scholarship. We don't have the money, and it could be that when Frieda returns, she will not be going back to Fayetteville. And uh, he says, let's join hands and pray. So pray we, we did. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, the nursing school received a call from a lady in West Texas happened to be a very wealthy woman. She said, I had a long illness and I was nursed back to health and care in the, the hospital here. And my favorite nurse, the nurse that took the best uh, patience and time and, 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 and nurtured me and cared for me and, and encouraged me and helped me to regain my health was a, a black nurse. And, and I'm calling uh, my alma mater to see if there's uh, anybody that help, I want to specifically uh, earmark uh, some money to help a black nursing student. They say, we have one who's just a hair short of what she needs. She says, yes, I will help her. That sister went on to get a master's in nurse midwifery at Columbia University and, a, and an MD in gynecology from the University of, of Mississippi. She recently retired, but it was because we had the confluence of races working together for the good of the whole that my sister enjoyed a long medical career and again one of her books landed her here as a lecturer but I want you to notice that there's not just an African uh, connection in this text there's also an Asian connection look at Romans 16 verse 5 Paul said, greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Why did Paul specify his, his geographic origin, his cultural heritage and background? Because it was important for Paul to let believers know that the church should look like the kingdom of God. We see Asians and and Africans all in this Roman congregation. In February 2015, chapel message at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary addressing the topic, the table of the nations, the Tower of Babel, and the marriage supper of the Lamb, ethnic diversity, and the radical vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Albert Mola stated, and I quote, African and Asiatic people may well be rooted in the sons of Ham. And when I read that, I thought that means the Old Testament landscape and much of the New Testament would be populated by African and Asiatic people. In the table of the nations in Genesis 10, 30 names are mentioned. 30, 30 are, I'm sorry, 70 names are mentioned. 30 are descendants from Ham. 26 are descendants of Shem. And 14 are descendants of Jacob, uh, of, of Japheth. And then we see in the book of Acts, Jesus said to his disciples, and ye shall receive power after which the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Well, we discover that in Acts 8, a man of Ethiopia 
was born again because he was witnessed to by Philip with the Greek-speaking name at the church of Jerusalem. There God used uh, a, a Greek-speaking man to share the gospel with an African man who was reading from a Jewish Bible while riding in a Roman province. <laughs> I'm trying to show you that the gospel is cross-cultural. Chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, Middle Eastern person was converted, descendant of Noah's son Shem, the Ethiopian, the descendant of Noah's son Ham. And then in Acts 10, Cornelius, an Italian, was converted to Christ. The Bible is clear that God's kingdom includes red, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in his sight. And I believe in the 21st century, God wants to break the color barrier, and he wants all of his people in one place at one time, even as it was on the day of Pentecost. Every nation under the sun was represented. There's obviously a European connection. It's Epistle is written to Rome that was comprised of many cultures that did not practice race-based slavery, but uh, everybody had an opportunity to sin, and anybody could be enslaved. And you study Frank Snowden's book, uh, Black in Antiquity, or, or Before Color Prejudice, or a book on my desk, you, you'll discover that uh, you had Africans and Asians and Arabs. Everybody had an opportunity to excel in the Roman culture, even at the cross. You see Roman soldiers who pierced them in the side and blood and water ran down and soldier cried out, surely this must be the son of the living God. He was a Roman. Then you see an African that was compelled to help Jesus carry the cross, not because he was a slave, but because of the sovereignty of God. The Roman government could make anybody who outside of Jerusalem to carry the cross. And, and this man was compelled to carry the cross. But can you imagine the testimony that, that gave him? I mean, the literal sweat and blood of Jesus on that cross. 660 yards, almost six football fields from where Jesus was released, walking up the Via Della Rosa. And some would say that cross weighed almost about 300 pounds, and Jesus carried it so far, and he began to buckle under the pressure, and, and then Simon helped him to carry that cow. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine the impact that had on Simon of Cyrene's life? No doubt one he shared with his son Rufus that made him a stellar person in part because of that chosen in the Lord, but because of his own contributions and leadership in the church at Rome, Paul greeted him. If we're going to cross today's cultural chasms, my simple message is the church must come together in unity. As I close, God comes in power when there is visual unity, verbal unity, and vital unity in one place. God can act with breathtaking instant power when his people are unified, as was on the day of Pentecost. Without any warning, without any preparation, suddenly there was a sound as if a rushing mighty wind. That wind, and oh, we needed to blow again. It was the breath of God. It was the wind that was blown in the nostrils of Adam. 
It was the wind that was blown from the mouth of Elijah into the lifeless frame of the weather sun. It was the wind of which Jesus spoke when he described the operation of the Holy Spirit to Nicodemus. The, blink, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell from where it's come and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. When God breathes, he breathes. It is a mysterious in its origin. It's mysterious in its destination, the breath of the Lord. It's mysterious in its operation. It blew on the early church, and they set aside all cultural differences to come together under the banner of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But when the church has this kind of unity, there is always a visual and audible unity when God manifests his presence. The particular manifestations of God's power of Pentecost are not to be repeated, but the principles remain the same. There is an audible and visual unity and diversity when God's people are one. When the church comes into unity, she will experience God's power. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How could they reach such a diverse population then? But we're having such a difficult time now. I tell you, we need the Lord and the word of the Lord and the spirit of the living God to fall fresh on his church again. How to reach the masses, men of every birth. For an answer, Jesus gave a key. He said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. May God bless Southwestern, her big tent vision. And may this be a place where we see the unity of God, the kingdom of God, the diversity of God's people excel and accelerate as a model to this nation. Because Jesus said, things happen when you get caught up in the wind. As I go to my seat, it has an invisible constitution. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can sense him. And you know his presence. And the wind has incomparable power. When the wind blows, it can knock a tree over. I saw the other day on TV where it lift, literally lifted a truck up. God has the kind of power to do what we can't do. It's possible for us to do this on our own or in our flesh. But when the wind of the Holy Spirit blow, you'll see a great change among us. The wind has inequitable freedom. It goes where it wants to go. Uh, when I was a boy, we had a clothesline and um, it was in the midst of segregation and some places we couldn't go. Certain libraries we couldn't go to. Certain restaurants we couldn't go to. Certain movie houses we couldn't go to. But the wind, the same wind that blew on the other side of town, it blew on our side of town too. Because you really couldn't 
control the wind. May God's wind blow on his church again that we might look like the church in Romans chapter 16. God bless you. Thank you for this opportunity.